Good morning, church. Good to see you. Good morning to those of you watching online. And just, 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 a, just a reminder, any, any Sunday at 9.30, we've got anywhere between 60 to 100 people watching us online right now, live. They're either in a hospital or they're just not able to come or they're sick or some people are on vacation. So uh, why don't you guys just give a big round of applause and shout out to those people who are watching online. We're glad you guys are here with us. So a man is having dinner with some friends, and the conversation turns toward religion and faith. And the discussion continues. Eventually, his friends land all in the same place, that as long as you're a good person, as long as you believe in something, some higher power, that's all that matters, because all road leads to God. All roads lead to God. It doesn't matter whether you call yourself a Christian, a Catholic, Jew, a Muslim, a Hindu, a Buddhist, a Mormon, a Jehovah's Witness, a Universalist, an agnostic, because in the end, it's probably all the same deity, just all going by different names. Sounds good. Sounds inclusive. Sounds fair. But is it accurate? Are you willing to bet your soul and your eternity on the view that there is either no God or that there is an all-generic, all-tolerant God that's perfectly okay with existing right in the middle of contradictory belief systems and irreconcilable differences within religious plurality. A woman is having coffee with a friend, and the conversation turns toward religion and faith. The tone of the conversation changes. The woman's friend becomes very defensive. And she says, I will never step foot in a church again. And she then starts to unpack her story of attending church most of her life and being raised to believe that the only way to get to God, the only way to receive forgiveness from God is to make sure that she's praying certain prayers, she's participating in certain rituals, she's keeping certain traditions. And she shares that not once during her religious phase did she feel like her faith was life-giving. In, or produced a peace with God, or, or fed her soul. In fact, she mostly felt guilty and shameful and distant from God and empty. And those years of practicing robotic religion never left her feeling loved or forgiven by God. These are two hypothetical scenarios, but we all know too well they're a little close to home, aren't they? Can you relate to them? Have you been there? Are you there now? Do you have loved ones that are there now? See, as far as religious and faith conversations go, one cannot discuss faith or religion too long before Jesus comes up. Because Jesus Christ is a game changer in faith conversations. He always has and he always will be. And the reason that Jesus Christ is a game changer when it comes to discussions about faith and religion is because Jesus Christ made claims about himself that no other religious leader in the history of the world made about themselves. And on top of that, as you study Christianity and study the Bible, you learn that those faith um, claims by Christ are accurate and they're solid. Right now, we're in the middle of a series called I Am, where we are looking at seven of those most stunning statements that Jesus made about himself from the book of John. These are metaphors that Jesus used to convey a concept, an image, and how we can relate to him and understand him, not merely as a teacher or a prophet, but as the Son of God and as God. Because when Jesus uses the phrase, I am, and we know this is the name that God revealed 
to Moses in the book of Exodus. This is the name that God goes by. He says, when Jesus is intentionally saying that he's equal to God and that he, he is God, when Jesus uses the I am and then pairs something with it, or anytime Jesus uses that statement, I am, he's calling himself God. Now, two weeks ago, we saw that Jesus said, I am the bread of life, meaning that he is the source of sustenance for our very souls. Only Jesus fulfills forever. Jesus didn't come merely to give us bread. He came to what? Be our bread. Last week, we looked at Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. And we saw how his light reveals our sin and reveals our need for him. And the light of Christ reveals without condemning and restores without condoning. And so Jesus didn't come merely to show us light. He came to be the light. Today we look at yet another I am statement that Jesus spoke. And he said, I am the door. What does he mean by that? Well, I want you to see it with your own eyes. So open up your Bible to the book of John chapter 10 or fire up your Bible application, whether you're online or live, get your Bible open. John chapter 10, we're going to look at three very powerful verses, 7 through 10. John 10, verses 7 through 10. And as you turn there, here's what you'll find. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come here today, and knowing that between the group here in this room, And the group watching online, there are some of us who do not know you yet, or we're still exploring you. Lord, I pray that you would bring clarity and knowledge and wisdom and belief today to those who fit that description. And Lord, today, those of us who do know you, may we be uh, reminded of why we can celebrate, of why we can be secure, of why we go out and tell other people about Jesus because of the words we read today. Lord, transform us and change us. Give us new life with what we're reading and studying today. We ask in Jesus' name, we all said. Amen. Let's unpack what Jesus is saying in this verse. Let's just start off at the beginning. It says, Jesus said again to them. Well, if he said it again, when did he say it the first time, right? Well, if you were to go back to John 10:1, you see Jesus say this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and robber. So Jesus, in the beginning of John chapter 10, introduced this concept of, of him being the door to the sheepfold. And that anyone else trying to come in a different way is really a thief and a robber. We'll explain that in a minute. Uh, The question is, who's he talking to? It says, again, he's shared to them. Now, there is a crowd present, but he's locking eyes with a particular group of people. And if you were to back up before John 10 starts and you were to look at the end of chapter 9, what you see is Jesus is talking to a group of Pharisees. Now, for the sake of those who may not know what a Pharisee is, the Pharisees were a party of Jewish religious leaders that were very strict in their practice of the Jewish law and Jewish traditions. They were spiritually pretentious. They were hyper-legalist. And they carried with them an air of spiritual superiority. 
And so Jesus was locking eyes with them and trying to really get them to understand and put them in their place on this concept. If we were to summarize what Jesus is saying in these three verses, I think it can best be summarized by this phrase. No Jesus, N-O, no life. No Jesus, K-N-O-W, no life. That's really what this is in a nutshell. But we're going to unpack it a little bit more. See, Jesus is using a word picture to get his point across. He's using this concept of a, a sheep gate or a sheep pen. So here's what we have. The shepherds, when they were watching their flocks of sheep in the fields, during the evenings would bring them into a sheepfold. And what it was is it was an enclosure that was usually made up of rocks and then would have some thorns on the top. So I have a small model here. This is a very small model in comparison. Now, if uh, we were to do this full size, the worship team would not be very happy with me because it would take up the whole stage, right? And so there would be this enclosure usually made of rock. Sometimes there would be a top on it. Sometimes there would be a lot of thorns and things on the higher wall. The walls would be much higher. And what would happen is in the evenings, the shepherd would bring the sheep into the fold. And here they were safe. Here they were secure. They belonged to this particular shepherd. These were his sheep. And so Jesus is using a concept that would portray ownership. These are my sheep in this fold. And he would be using a concept that conveyed security. Why they're in here, they're safe. They're safe from predators. They're not going to wander off. Uh, they're not going to get hurt. They're here. And there was one entrance and one exit. So he knew where the sheep were as they came in and, and they left. And as you can see, there was no actual door or gate on the structure. So at nighttime, when it was time to, to, to rest and to go to bed, or to, what, what would the shepherd do? The shepherd literally would lay at the base of the entrance. They still do this in, in remote areas where they're shepherding. And so they lay in front of the entrance. Guess what they're doing? They're being the door. They're the actual door. And so no sheep comes out, no robber, no wolf, no predator comes in. The shepherd is actually the door to the sheepfold. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I am the door. I bring the sheep in. They are mine. They're secure. There's boundaries. This is where they are. And then in the morning, what would happen is the shepherds would then wake up, and then the sheep are here, and then it's time to get them out of the fold. And so he would lead them out into the pasture. Now, if they were on rocky terrain, he would lead them to green pastures. If they were close by to grazing land, he would lead them out to stretch, to run, to play, to drink, to eat, all those kinds of things. And so this is the concept that Jesus is trying to bring home about who he is. Now, notice this. Thankfully, there is a door. Because a lot of people wonder, with God, with eternity, with heaven, how do you get in? And when you think about who we are by nature, when you think about the hideousness of our sin, when you think about how rebellious we are toward God, he has every right to go, there's no door. I'm just shutting you out, man. I don't, I don't dwell in the midst of sin. I don't dwell in the midst of that kind of unholiness. And so gates closed, doors locked, too bad, so sad. Praise God, there's an entrance into eternity. There's an entrance into God's full. So we're so happy that there is a door. And that means that, and, and as Jesus is expressing this, it means that God is accessible and God is personal. We have 
access to God. We can enter into God's kingdom. We can enter into eternal life and all of those things. And we can belong to God. And we can be his. But it's a narrow and exclusive access. Just think about your homes for a minute. Think about your apartment. Think about the home that you live in. You have an entrance. You invite your family and your friends and your guests to freely come in and out of the entrance of your home. Now, if someone were to try to get into your home tonight, maybe let's say at 2 a.m., through some other means than the front door, they would have some explaining to do, wouldn't they? And for some of you, it's probably at the business end of some sort of weapon, you know, baseball bat, golf club, firearm, whatever, because why? That person's an intruder. They're trying to get into your home in a way that is not intended to have access into your home. Well, if we are perfectly happy having an access point for those that we know and love, why wouldn't God? And if we have an issue with intruders trying to come into our space when they're not invited or through means that they're not intended to use, and that's an issue, then why wouldn't God? And so Jesus is using this concept to communicate many things about access to him. And he's saying he is the only access to God. If someone is proclaiming another way, if someone's proclaiming another way to the Lord, he is referring to these people as thieves and robbers. These are intruders. And he says that the true sheep, the true sheep will not listen to them, right? Look again at verse 8. Kind of elaborates on this. He says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not, what? Listen to them. And as people seek the Lord, as they start to pray for wisdom and discernment, and they start to understand Scripture, they're going to quickly weed out the counterfeits. And this is what he's saying here. Now, anyone teaching another way to get to God other than Jesus, trying to get to heaven other than Jesus, trying to receive forgiveness of sins any other way other than Jesus, is attempting to steal God's sheep. They are spiritual predators in the eyes of God. And as far as this reference to those who came before me, Jesus is clearly not referencing Old Testament prophets and all those that came before him that were sent by the Lord. He's speaking about false messiahs. He's speaking about false teachers that proclaimed something about God that was not true or proclaimed a way to get to God that was not accurate. And remember, at this point in time, he's talking directly to the Pharisees. He's applying these labels to them. Because instead of being the spiritual shepherds of Israel like they were supposed to be, instead they were heaping upon the people religious regulations. They were heaping upon the people laws and man-made traditions. They created a spiritual obstacle course that they were telling people they had to go through in order to get forgiveness and get to God. And Jesus is saying, you're actually not the gatekeepers you think you are, but I am the gate. I'm the gatekeeper. And he referred to these people as robbers and thieves. I think there's even intentionality behind those references. Think about a robber for a second. A robber is a person who usually is more forceful in what they take. They, they come, think, think about being robbed at gunpoint, right? Or being robbed in an alleyway. There's a, there's a violent and forceful nature there. I think when you spiritually play this out, that looks like this. In order to go to heaven, in order to be forgiven, in order to get to God, you must do fill in the blank. It's being forced upon you. You have to do this ritual. You have to do this religion. You have to say this prayer. You, you have to practice this belief. You have to do, 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 do. That is being a spiritual robber 
when they impose upon you, force upon you things that are not of the Lord in order to get to the Lord. And so we see that being played out spiritually. Thieves, on the other hand, tend to be more sneaky, tend to be more deceptive, more shady, more subversive. Think pickpocket. Think identity theft. When all of a sudden someone just wakes up one day going, where is that? How did I get here? Where's that thing missing? Right? It's more subtle in nature. And when you play this out spiritually, it's more about faith systems and beliefs that seduce you, that lure you away from Christ. They sound good. They sound appealing. Your ears go, I like the way that sounds. But when you compare it to what God says, it doesn't match. But you like what it says. That's being a spiritual thief. And that that kind of thinking says, oh, it's all the same. It's not just Jesus. That's just being narrow-minded. And people redefine Jesus. And so that man in that earlier story I told about his friends, they're being spiritual thieves. And the woman in that story I told in the beginning, she experienced spiritual robbers. If we were to use the language from Pastor Rick Duncan last week, spiritual robbers are those who would condemn. And spiritual thieves would be those who are, um, what's the word, condoning. They would condone multiple beliefs, would condone, oh, that's okay. Well, this person says, no, you have to do all these things. And Jesus comes in. And I hope as we're talking about this, and you start to realize that neither of these people are the door to God's flock. Jesus comes in and he instructs and he corrects and he proclaims, no, I am the door. Aren't you glad that the door isn't a way, but it's a person? It's a relationship. It's intimacy. It's interpersonal. And Jesus makes a very stark contrast between the religious leaders that will lure and steal away and, and himself, who's the accurate way to the Lord. He's saying, I'm the way. That's, that's very pointed. Look at verse 9. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And this is huge because Jesus is not saying that he's a door, right? Jesus didn't say, I'm a door, one of many. Jesus didn't even say, I'm the best door. There's a lot of doors out there, but I'm just the best one, okay? He didn't say that. And he didn't say, I'm going to show you the door. I want to show you something you need to practice. I'm going to show you a type of belief system you need to... He didn't say, I'm a door, I'm the best door, I'll show you the door. He said, I am the door. I am the door. That personal, intimate relationship with the Lord himself. He's the only entrance. He's the only exclusive provision by God to receive forgiveness of sin, to enter into relationship with God, entrance into heaven. And the reason that is the case is because, and this is so important, the reason that Jesus can say that he is the door is because he alone has made access to God available through his crucifixion and resurrection. You've got to work your theology here. When you think about our sinful nature and you think about uh, who we are by default, where we run from God and rebel from God, because of that, God is not just loving, but God is also just and has wrath. And his wrath is aimed at us. His wrath is aimed at us. And there will be a day when we have to pay for our sins. But when Jesus went to the cross and he died on the cross, he absorbed the wrath. He took the wrath. We all like the character in the movie. We all like the moment in the movie when the person takes the hit for someone they love. 
They step into the bullet. They step in front of the car. They take the blow for the person they love so that whatever's coming is absorbed by them and the person they love doesn't have to be hurt. That's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. He stepped in front. He took God's wrath on the cross so that we didn't have to feel that. No one else has done that. Buddha didn't do that. Muhammad didn't do that. And all the people who've lived very good lives, doing very good things, didn't do that. Jesus did it. He's the only one that can say, I'm the door. Everyone else is just saying, I'm a door. I'll show you a door. And Jesus said, no, I am the door. And because of his death on the cross, and because of his victory over death through the resurrection, and in a few weeks we're going to get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he says, no, no, I'm not dead, I'm alive. Because when you look at all the other religious systems, all their founders, in the grave, Jesus is alive. He's the only one that could stand the door. No one else atones for sins. No other religious belief system atones, makes up, compensates, counters sin. It has to be paid for. Like, we don't want to be so ignorant to think that we can somehow work it off. It's not like detention. You know what I'm saying? You can't work off your sin. It has to be paid for. And if we're left to pay for it, we will not like how that feels for eternity. Separated from God in hell forever? That's what it means to pay for our sin. But Jesus took it through his death and resurrection. He's the only one who can say, I am the door. You know, he said here in verse 9, whoever enters by me will be saved. You know, sometimes we give that word a bad rap, like, oh, that's too spiritual. No, we are saved. When you look at what that word means in the Greek, it's sozo. It means to rescue from danger, to rescue from destruction or from perishing. This is a reference to being spiritually saved, our souls being rescued, plucked from destruction. We can accurately say we've been plucked by the fire, from the fires of hell by belief in Jesus. If you decided that you wanted to swim across Lake Erie to go visit Canada, and halfway across... You get a cramp and get tired and start to sink. Guess what? Someone's saying, hey, let me show you how to get out of that. You, you're trying to rescue yourself. You, can't, you need someone to come rescue you. You need to be saved from drowning in that moment. Guys, we are swimming in sin and sinking. And there are religious robbers and thieves out there saying, well, Jesus said he's the way, but there's got to be some other ways out there. Don't, don't just accept that. You've got other people going like, well, if you just swim harder, if you just do this, if you just say this prayer, if you just do this practice, then we need someone to come and pluck us out. Amen? Jesus did that. Jesus did that. And that's why he has the authority and the power to say, I am the door. Works does not save you. It's a thief or a robber. Traditions do not save you. That's being a thief or a robber spiritually. Baptism is a proclamation. It's not salvation. If someone tells you you have to be baptized to be saved, they're being a thief or a robber. That's not biblical teaching. Exercising certain spiritual gifts doesn't save you. That's being a thief or a robber. Going to church, even serving in church, doesn't save you. You can go to church and still not be going to heaven. Going to church doesn't save you. The only thing that saves you is believing and trusting and embracing the only entrance into heaven, 
the one who proclaims himself as the door. 1 John 5, 11 and 12 says this, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. Amen to that. And this life is in his son. And whoever has the son has what? Life. And whoever does not have the son of God does not have what? Life. Acts 4.12, and there is salvation of no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, which we must be saved. This is so hard for our pluralistic society to accept. It's difficult for our pluralistic society to accept, but just because it's hard to believe doesn't mean we shouldn't believe it. And just because it's hard to believe doesn't mean it's hard to receive. And if we're going to get really honest, if Jesus is the access point, then Everybody on this planet, everybody in this room, everybody watching online falls into one of two categories. You either have entered into eternity and eternal life in Christ. You're secure. You're his. You're in. You're either in Christ or you are not in Christ. That's it. You are either in Christ because you've embraced God's door in or you are not in Christ. And I don't care how compelling or convincing other people are saying, well, you can actually climb over here. There's a secret entrance nobody knows about back here. If you like do this little combination, like a little door will open up and you'll get in. Hey, if you just jump high enough, if you just like take a jackhammer and like crack through the wall and get in through yourself, that, there's no other way in. Jesus says, I am the door. And so therefore, you are either in Christ through believing and trusting in Christ or you are out. And by the way, there's no halfies. There's no like half in, half out. I'm, I'm a half flock. What is that? I'm like half in, half, uh-uh. Can't. You're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. That's the profound nature of what Jesus is sharing. Now, what's beautiful about this is that being a follower of Christ is just not about being secure for heaven. It's not checking a box and going, I'm good. But when you read on here, Jesus says, he who believes in me and saves, he will find pasture. See, what happens is once your eternity is secure, we don't live here. This is coming. But because we're secure, because we know where we stand with the Lord, we can then leave the full during this life. This life is out here. So our eternity is reserved. We're in Christ. And then he leads us out to the pasture. And in the pasture, we get to run, and we get to enjoy, and we get to live out purpose, and we get to experience the goodness of God and the hardness of the world. Like out here, we start to think about like Psalm 23, right? You think about Psalm 23, and you think about, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. What's the word? Forever. See, eternal life. Access to God's full through Christ. And once you know you're his beloved child, once you know you're secure, you can step out and be with the shepherd, and the shepherd leads you to pastures. And we get to have our souls refreshed, and we get to have our souls fed. But see, some of the false teachers out there say, see, if you're in Christ, when you come out here, all you're going to experience is, is the pleasures of the world. 
You're going to have all the money you want, all the experiences you want. You notice how Psalm 23 says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death? It's one of the scenes when you're reading Psalm 23, you go like, oh, this is great. Oh, wait, can we kind of like take that part out? (laughs) Because there's shadows, there's difficulties out in this life. But I will not fear because the shepherd is where? With you. He's with you. He leads us out to pasture. So we come back to that point. No Jesus, no life. No eternal life, no abundant life out here. No Jesus, eternal life, and then life out here. And this abundant life. I mean, look at this. He says he gives us abundant life. Look at verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it it abundantly. I want you to think about thieves and robbers. What's their end goal? Destruction. And so whether it's a wolf that comes and mauls a sheep and drags it off and devours it, or whether it's a robber who tries to sneak over the wall and tries to grab a sheep, close its mouth, slit its throat so it doesn't make any noise, throw it over the wall and get as many as it can and then get back out and take its plunder and then take it out to skin it and sell it and eat it and devour it. That's, that's the agenda. And all the teaching out there, that's the end result if it's not about Christ. Those who have been lured by the spiritual thieves into a false sense of security that, hey, as long as you believe something, you're good. As long as you're good enough, you're good. False sense of security. In the end, death, eternal death. The goal of that teaching, whether they even know it themselves, because they're drinking their own Kool-Aid, is stealing, killing, destroying. And then the other side, man, some people make it so hard. You never feel good enough. You never have the comfort. You can never have the security. The road of religion is just full of the carcasses of people that have said, I've been hurt deeply by the church and by spiritual people, and then I'm not even trying with this God thing if that's what God's about. Man. Those guys' agendas were, whether they know it or not, was death and destruction and killing. Some of you have had your joy stolen. You've had hopes killed. You've experienced destruction at the hands of people in the name of God. Man. Our hope for you is that if you don't know the Lord, you'll come to know him and know the life that he offers. And, and, and if you've been hurt, that you can realize those people were spiritual robbers and thieves, but Jesus isn't like that. Jesus is the way. I need, to, I need Jesus. You don't need the church as much as you need Jesus. It's all about Christ. And he offers this thing called abundant life. Abundant life. What does that mean? The word abundant means perisos. Look, there's nachos, and then there's nacho supreme. There's life, and then there's abundant life. And when you look at this Greek word, perisos, it means to surpass or to be exceedingly good or to beyond measure or to be supreme. And abundant life doesn't mean abundant money, abundant possessions, abundant health, or, or abundant protection from pain or difficulty. That's distorted teaching. That's some of that prosperity gospel. Some of us have experienced the emptiness of trying to chase after things and, and, and wealth. And despite having the house we wanted, the car we wanted, the brand names we wanted, the jobs we wanted, the image we wanted, the girl we wanted, the guy we wanted, we still ended up empty because possessions do not give us life. Money does not give us life. We do not give ourselves life. 
Jesus gives us life. No Jesus, no life. No Jesus, no life. And so godly abundance is not measured by material goods. It's by spiritual fruit. Now, God may allow abundant resources in your life, but the abundance he's talking about here is the abundance of peace and satisfaction that comes with knowing Christ. It's soul satisfaction. Like Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, when you enter through the door of Jesus, you find abundant mercy, you find abundant grace and forgiveness and abundant peace and abundant joy and freedom and strength and purposes. These are the provisions. These are the abundant blessings of the shepherd. And those are the things that money and possessions and a long life and a smooth life, a healthy life could never give. Only Christ can give those. And so an abundant life in Christ may not necessarily mean a prosperous life. It may not necessarily mean a long life or a healthy life, but it will mean this. Abundant life in Christ is a full life. And it's a fulfilled life. That's the abundance that the Lord offers us when he leads us out to pasture. Now, It'd be very easy for anyone watching or listening right here that doesn't know Christ to dismiss what I'm saying because I'm expected to say it. Well, you're the pastor. Of course, you're saying you're going to say these things. But I know a bunch of you are listening to me right now, and in your heart, you're shouting amen. And for the more expressive, out of your mouth, you're shouting amen because it's Jesus. Because it's Jesus. And so a lot of us have this story. A lot of us know what it's like to step in and out of the fold with peace of knowing the Lord. And we can't hear all the stories, but we can hear one. One of our friends here, Chip, used to try to get to God through ways other than the door until he heard the truth. So let's listen to his story for a minute. I was raised in a house that went to church. We prayed at the dinner table every day. I was an altar boy. I was in the youth group. I attended Sunday school. I was in the Easter play. I loved singing at church, especially when there was a good hymn. I felt like I was a good kid, especially when I compared myself to others. It was in the fall of 1979 and I was 14. Not long before, both my mom and my aunt said they had been saved. It's a term I hadn't heard before and I really didn't know what it meant. At that time, I, like I said, I was 14. I got mixed in with other teenagers in our neighborhood and I did stuff I shouldn't have and I blamed it on peer pressure because, you know, I was a good kid, especially relative to the others. Little did I know the lady at the corner of our street who ran our convenience store was saved as well, and she was keeping an eye on all of us teenagers. One day we were hanging out together and we went into the convenience store and one of us tried to steal something and that person was me. The good news was it fell down my pant leg and I was caught. Uh, the lady running the store, immediately ran to the door and she locked it. And I thought, oh, she's gonna call the police and I'm gonna be in a lot of trouble. And that wasn't me. But instead, she shut down the store. It was a Thursday and um, it was later in the day, probably six o'clock or so. And she piled us all into her car and she took us to this place called the Gospel House. And every Thursday night, they would have a service and there would be great singing and they would preach. And at the end of each service, they would have an altar call. On November 29th, 1979, at one of those services, I heard the voice of the shepherd. But this time it was different. I remember beginning to shake uncontrollably and I couldn't stop. 
And the preacher continued with the altar call. And I ran to the front of the church and I remember falling on my knees and crying and weeping and calling out to God. I was met by a, uh, a man named Robin Smith uh, that night and he gave me a New Testament. And he walked me through the Romans road and talked about the fact that, you know, we'd all fallen short of the glory of God. And that if we believed in Jesus and trusted in him and called him as our Lord and Savior, that we would be saved as well. All of those other religious activities that I thought I should do and that I was trusting in didn't mean anything. It was actually the relationship with Jesus that meant everything. From that day, um, Jesus was leading me, whether I knew it or not. Um, where I went to college, my first real job, finding my wife, and on and on. All those things, Jesus was leading me. Jesus is the shepherd and he blessed me and my family and has given us abundant life. The shepherd protects us so we can live securely in him. I don't have to fear the robbers and the thieves because Jesus is there and our spirits hear his voice so we can walk confidently with him. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find green pasture. And that's what happened to me. I entered through the only way, Jesus. And he's been Lord of my life and he's led me in and out to green pasture. He's blessed me so much, relationally, spiritually, physically, financially, through all kinds of life experiences, through watching my children grow up and to see them walk in faith. It's been a wonderful experience and I don't know why anybody wouldn't wanna have that relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen, amen. That's just one of many of our stories. And Chip didn't have to worry about trying to find any other way in. He just, he found the way, the door, Christ. And now the joy and security of eternal life is allowing him to experience pasture and abundant life like so many of us. You know, I think about that woman who was in his story in the shop owner. You know, she was a risk taker. <laughs> she had a situation that she could have done a lot of things with, but she did something so risky for Christ and, and it had fruit. I'm just thinking about our, our uh, theme this year of, of really increasing our risk-taking. Like how, how can you live as a risk-taker like that, to take those kind of risks to make the difference in the lives of other people? So here's what I want you guys to remember today. No Jesus, no life. No Jesus, no life. So for my, my fellow believers in Christ, I, th I hope today is a day that you're affirmed like truly, you've entered through the way and that gives you joy and peace and security and that you can come out and live boldly and courageously and even risky for Jesus out here in the pasture and celebrate that. But don't forget, there are people that don't know about the door. And part of us coming here and being reminded about Jesus being the door isn't just so we can go, I'm so glad that I'm in. It's also to rip our hearts from others. so many people who are out and God's giving you breath and life and purpose and calling to go and help them understand who Jesus is, what he's done in your life, and how he truly is the door. For unbelievers, if you're here today watching online and you don't know Christ, and maybe you have a false sense of security and you're just like trusting in whatever. It's too nebulous. It's too vague. You're hearing very clearly now, Jesus is the only way. Maybe God has you at that place of belief 
we are hearing, and you need to run <laughs> to belief today. Our hope and prayer is that you've heard from the Lord and you understand the value of Jesus' death on the cross, you understand the power of his resurrection, and you understand the open invitation, that the door is open and you can come to him. And so in a minute, I'm just going to close this in prayer. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. It's not the prayer. It's me just leading your heart to a place of belief. And afterwards, we want to help you grow to help you experience that abundant life that Jesus is talking about. And so we have a gift for you. It's, it's a Bible. And so if you would take your response card and just write down, I'm believing in Jesus today, and take it personally, just back to this corner before you leave this room. And there's going to be a guy back there with a the yellow lantern, a couple others, just say, hey, I'm giving my life to Christ today. Give him your response card. They'll just celebrate with you, give you a Bible that has some information about your next steps. If you're online, you can email us at connect at cvconline.org, and we'd love to share with you how to grow in your new relationship with Christ. But for all of us, remember, no Jesus, no life. No Jesus, no life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for providing a way, Lord. You could have locked the gate, closed it, and left us out and been justified to do so. But out of your grace, out of your mercy, out of your love, you opened up a door. You didn't open up many doors. You opened up a door. Father, uh, rip our hearts for those who are caught up believing what the robbers and thieves spiritually are saying, Lord. Help us be mobilized as a body, as a community to go and speak truth, the truth of the gospel about Jesus being the door. So, Lord, help us not just celebrate, not just be grateful for what we have, Lord, but to help others find it as well. Lord, I pray for the men and women who are watching online or live right now that they need you. Lord, they understand very clearly that you're the way and they're ready to make that step. If that's you today, you can just say something like this to God. You can just say, dear God, I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I'm broken. I've been trying to get to you through other ways. But right here, right now, I believe Jesus is the door. I believe in his death on the cross for my sins. I believe in his resurrection from the grave for my forgiveness. And right now, I place my faith and trust in you. Come into my life. I want to follow you forever. In Jesus' name, we all sit together. Amen.